to another episode of Web3 Disruptors. I am thrilled to welcome our guest this week, Regan. She is the founder of Minted Mojito, which is an all-in-one Web3 marketing agency and educational platform. When she isn't recording her podcast, Marketing on the Moon, she's partnering with founders and marketing leaders to build go-to-market strategies that convert. She has a background in software as a service, AI, hospitality, and Web3. And through that, she's built pipeline from scratch, scaled marketing teams for series A through E, and led through significant periods of uncertainty. Excited to have you, Regan. Uh, Thank you for joining us. Oh, thank you so much, Jeanette, for having me. I'm so very happy to be here. And that was a lovely intro, though you give me way too much credit. (laughs) I'm sure that's not true. So as a starting point, it'd be lovely for our listeners to just get a little bit more perspective on your journey into Web3. How did you get into the space? Yeah, so I think like many people, I almost fell into the space serendipitously. And I was living in San Francisco at the time when I first heard about crypto. And when I heard about it, it was from your traditional finance bros who would sit and they would talk about how much money you could make. And I vividly remember writing off the industry and saying, that's not going to be something for me. It's not going to be something that grows. And I'm so, so very happy that I was wrong because a couple of years later, I actually had the opportunity to go and lead the marketing organization in EMEA and APAC for Chainalysis, which is the blockchain data platform. So that was my real entry point into Web3 after I had heard about all the trading opportunities that existed when I was living in San Francisco. But at the point in 2019, that's when I really dove down the rabbit hole, as they say. And I learned everything very quickly. So it meant that I needed to ramp up almost on my own, not because the company didn't have onboarding materials, they absolutely did, But it was because we were in this uncharted territory when it came to marketing. And so I was learning everything from scratch, understanding the conference space, understanding what demand generation looked like in Web3, what people wanted, what they didn't want. And in 2022, I decided, all right, this is now my time to go and step out and go and work with some smaller companies across the ecosystem to help build their marketing and demand generation programs. And so I did just that, like you said. So for the last year in some odd, I have been running Minted Mojito, which is a end-to-end effectively marketing consultancy in Web3. So I partner really closely with founders to either come in as a fractional leader or as a consultant, depending on their needs. And we will build from the ground up. We will review their marketing foundations, their fundamentals, make sure everything is really aligned to my favorite catchphrase is attract, nurture, and convert your ideal audience. So that's a little bit about me, about how I got into Web3. I love this industry. I love the people. I love the ethos behind it. And effectively, I'm here because... I love the idea that we can gain control and increase our access to financial information in a way that we are unable to do right now in the Web2 financial ecosystem. Brilliant. That was a great overview. One of the things I'd love to dive into, so for people that might be listening and thinking, is there so much of a big difference between marketing in Web2 versus Web3? 
I suspect that there's a gulf and that it's very different, but would love to hear your expert opinion on how big of a difference it is from Web 2 to Web 3 and specifically what those differences look like. It's a great question. And I think my answer typically surprises people because I would say there's not a huge difference in the fundamentals of marketing in Web 2 versus Web 3. Where the difference exists is the ethos and your customer base. And so in order to market to this new audience, we need to change around a lot of our tactics. But I always say that to get good at Web3 marketing, you need to understand the fundamentals first. Then you need to understand and really dive deep into Web3 and then start to understand your customer from there. And so... When it comes to some of those differences, like I said, we still need those fundamentals. But what you can do is recognize that our audiences are sitting on vastly different channels. Mm -hmm. They're also sitting in a different tech ecosystem than our Web2 audiences. And this is a big change that is going to come up in the next, I would say, year or two. It's going to take a couple more years on top of that for us to really perfect the data side of marketing. But in the next year or two, we are going to start seeing so many growth platforms pop up to help us build our marketing plans in Web3. Because instead of the Web2 kind of cookies and tracking links and the way that we manage it now on the marketing side, the tech stack is different that our customers are sitting on, which means that our marketing data and the way that we grab it is going to be different alongside that. And what that means is right now in Web3, you're on the blockchain, mm -hmm. right? So you have a really clear and transparent ledger as to what activity your customers have engaged in, which competitors they've potentially engaged in, how much money they're spending on your competitor's platform. Now, a lot of people might feel like that is scary information to have, but we're not pairing your name to it. Instead, it's this very similar to the information we get in Web2, but now we are going to be able to actually have those insights into how do we build targeted campaigns that aren't going to feel spammy for you in the way that they are right now, because in Web2, it's very spray and pray. Yeah. They, can all, they have to make a huge number of assumptions, or we have to make as marketers a huge number of assumptions when it comes to if someone's going to be interested in this product or not. That's going to be the main change and the main difference in Web3. So we're going to get some really clear insights there. So it's the data, it's the platforms that people sit on, it's the way that they're looking to engage online as well. That's another difference. People are much more open in Web3. They want to understand, I hate this phrase, but for lack of a better phrase, how the sausage is made. Like they want to see behind the golden curtain or the red curtain or whatever mm -hmm. it is called. And they need to trust the people on your team who are delivering this product in order for them to invest their time, their resources, their energy, whatever it is. So with that, those are the different changes that we're seeing in Web3. And I'm sure there's a good number to come. Yeah. One of the things as you walk through that, that that comes up for me is thinking about community feels very different in Web3 than mm -hmm. uh, any of the spaces that I've operated in. In what way would your some of your customers perhaps talk to you about building communities and how can they then leverage that for the growth of their brands? It's a great question. And Typically, one of the first ones that I hear when I sit down with a marketing team or a founder, they will say, how do we start to build our community? 
And your community in Web3 is really interesting and you can approach it in a couple different ways. But we're also seeing this change in Web2 as well. You're having this new influx of, this is what I tell the founders and marketers that I work with, you have this new influx of consumers. A lot of them are younger. Their Gen Z has a higher disposable income than we saw millennials have at this age um, than we've seen any other generation have at that age. And so they are, we're already tracking their spending habits online. But we can also track very clearly their community habits online. And a lot of those purchasing decisions are being made in smaller circles, which is why we point so heavily to community. Because you can almost imagine it as word of mouth marketing grown by 300%, 400%, like on steroids. Word of mouth has always been so important. But now in a community setting, you're no longer worried, not worried, you're no longer building your community based on your geographical location. Instead, you're getting to build your community purely based on interests, on insights, on the excitement that you have around or the similarities that you have around the people that are in the community with you. And that means that level of trust is going to increase. And so when I talk to founders and marketers, that's the first thing that we start to tackle is what kind of trust exists in your circle right now? What kind of influence do you have? And then we can start to play around with it. But I will say what that takes is a really clear set of marketing foundations. And so I don't want to just jump into it and say you can have a product, think you found your product market fit, and then you can just start to build a community. You can start to do that, but you really need to get clear in order to build a community on your ideal customer, what they're looking for, and what is compelling to them. Because again, it all goes back to the customer. It all goes back to being 100% effectively about them and what they're concerned with. And so community marketing is important. It's that second step, though. The first step is going to be your marketing foundations. And another way that I heard actually Amanda Cassett describe it, she's the CEO of Serotonin, which is another Web3 marketing agency. She described it as in Web3, you have your community. In Web2, you have this hierarchy, right? Like you have the investors and you have the business and then you have the customers. Whereas in Web3, you're creating this group that is equally aligned in their economic incentives. And so now you're no longer just having your investors that are funding the company that are funding the or that are selling to the customer. Instead, your investors can be your customer. They're purchasing from you and in return, they're getting the product and the rewards for putting their cash, time, effort, yeah. whatever you want to call it, into mm-hmm. your company. And so I like that description because I think it's really a clear differential between what exists in Web 2 and now what we're seeing change here in Web 3. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So so switching gears a little bit in uh, go, and going back to one of your earlier points, you would talk to us about landing at Chainalysis and then this journey to launching Minted Mojito. Like what was the catalyst for for doing that for sort of I'm I'm ready? Yeah. It's a big decision, right? To step out and say, all right, I'm no longer going to work at a company, especially a company where we had this tight knit team who I was leading the marketing organization in EMEA. At that point, I had handed off APAC, but we were so close. We ran to events together. We sat in the trenches together. 
And that kind of camaraderie is important. And so to leave that was a really hard decision. But ultimately for me, what I wanted to go and do was apply all of the marketing strategies that I had learned prior to Chainalysis and at Chainalysis and go and test them out on some smaller companies. I really wanted to go back into that marketing generalist per side almost of the marketing industry in Web3. But I also wanted to engage with the community. And I wanted to start to build my own brand and impact the marketing at companies that I otherwise wouldn't have had the time or the space to impact. And so that is why I ultimately ended up making the decision. And I'm so happy that I did. Yeah. What's been the most rewarding part of it so far? Yeah. I think a couple different things. The most rewarding part has been... Honestly, being able to teach founders and new marketers how to grow and mentoring them through that shift because founders like to put up typically this wall that they know everything about everything. And I think that's an issue with the way society functions. It's an issue with the way VCs work, right? You come in and you have to show this face of confidence. But when it comes to marketing, they often need a partner who's going to sit there with them and say, this is how... This is what CAC is, your customer acquisition cost. This is how you calculate it. This is what's going to be important as we build our foundations. This is what's going to be important as you build your strategy and someone to really partner with them in that. And so I think being that person for a handful of founders at this point has brought me a huge amount of joy. But then on the side, I also run a Web3 marketing course that's targeted at marketers that are transitioning from Web2 into Web3 or honestly are in Web3 already, but just don't feel like they have a really solid understanding of the ecosystem. And for me, that's because I think it's so easy as marketers to kind of sit back and say, oh, there's an update in the industry. One of our thought leaders will tell me if this is important. Oh, there's a new regulation. Someone from the compliance team will tell me if this is important and I need to start you know, implementing some of this into my own marketing strategies. And that I find to be a huge issue because I want marketers to have the confidence and know that they are the experts in the room that they occupy, especially when it comes to marketing. So being able to hold their hand through that and help develop that confidence through this course has been so wonderful. And I'm very excited to continue to run it. That sounds fabulous. So what's the medium for that course? Is it a something that's on demand and and self-paced or is it more interactive? more interactive, actually. So it's a six-week course and it's application-based, but we run module-based coaching effectively. And so with every cohort, we have four different modules that run. So there are a specific set number of dates. I do about one a quarter and we pull together marketers from across the ecosystem. There are pre-recorded videos along with videos from expert speakers that I've pulled in from across the industry. And then we will do per module, one coaching session where we all get to come together, put our heads together and solve a couple of projects. Interesting. And when did you launch the course? I actually ran my first cohort earlier on this year. So in Q1 of this year, my first cohort ran and we are about to be on cohort three. Right. Okay. And then for the first part of the business, so the fractional work that you might do with founders Mm -hmm. and marketing professionals, how would they engage with you in in terms of working with you? Yeah. So it's a great question. 
The way that I typically work with founders and marketers are I exclusively work with venture-backed teams in Web3. And that can be on the B2B side or the B2C side. But I think that's an important stage for them to be at when it comes to my expertise. Because I typically come in and will... The first step is I do a, I run a full marketing audit. I sit down and we pull through what has worked, what hasn't worked, what potentially needs to change, what tools exist in your tech stack, who's on your team, what uh, skills do they have, what role do they occupy. And we start to run that audit in order to understand where we want to go next. Then we take a look at your marketing foundations. We make sure that your messaging aligns. And at that point, that's when we can actually start to build some of those go-to-market recommendations. So it's really great. I typically have founders reach out to me when they're not ready to actually hire a full-time marketer yet. Yeah. Maybe they have a couple of team members who need some mentoring in order to move to the next level. Mm-hmm. Or they're finding that they have a huge number of leads that are bogging down their MQLs that they can't transfer over to their BD team because their BD team just doesn't know how to filter through that quantity. And so we take a look at, okay, how do we expedite this funnel trickle? And how do we make sure that we're building in the right steps and the right, it's not an algorithm, but for lack of a better term, one, so that we make sure that your team is operating to the efficiency and the effectiveness that it can. Mm -hmm. And so that's how I typically work. They'll reach out for a discovery call. we'll We'll chat about what they're looking to do. And then I will create a bespoke program, but it typically follows that line of execution. Okay. And so you mentioned uh, an early part of this is you do this audit around the the tech stack. And early, we talked about different channels to market. Curious if there's almost kind of consistent themes that you see in terms of perhaps what might be missing in people's tech stack or that they haven't really thought about. And the same in terms of the different channels to go to market. Yes. (laughs) Let me think of a couple like to highlight. Because typically, I would say one of the biggest issues, not issues, but misconceptions that I come across is a company will reach out to me, whether it's the existing marketing team or the founder, and say, we need someone to build a go-to-market strategy for us. And when I sit down with them and start pulling through a lot of the collateral that they have, they don't yet have a boilerplate. They don't have a mission. They don't have a vision. They haven't researched keywords. Their you know, website sitemap isn't clear. Uh, it's not an easy website to navigate. And they're effectively trying to run before they can walk. And so that's what I will work with founders on is helping them to understand we actually need to go back to the beginning and make sure we're all aligned here before we can really start to build that community that you're looking for before we can start to even write a blog post because everything needs to tie back to the ethos of our brand. And founders have a huge bias for action. And I have a bias for action too. Mm -hmm. I am not necessarily someone with a bias for analysis, though I will do it when I need to. And I think even me, I need to slow them down sometimes on that bias for for action Mm -hmm. because they just want to run. No, we need to take that step back. And so that's a major misconception. Another thing that I hear quite often within the same vein of that is, well, we just need someone to come on board and execute our social media posts and build and write blog posts for us. And that's why I have this clear, call it marketing as a service outline of first, we come in, we do an audit, 
Then we take a look at your foundations. Then we can start building recommendations for your go-to-market strategy. And then we align your team. So we're all running towards the same goal. Because otherwise we're chickens running around, just no one's really understanding what they're doing. And you, when you bring someone in before you're ready to execute on that social media strategy, you're just, you're pedaling without actually going anywhere. So you're just trying to keep your head above water. And so those are the misconceptions that I typically try to walk the founders through. And each company requires their own strategy, but that's what I've seen. That's the structure I've seen work the best. Yeah, definitely. And then I think we're all guilty, as you said, as um, founders in particular, of trying to jump to to solutions. But it's uh, oftentimes comes down to recognizing why you ask someone to to come into your business who knows more about the topic than you do. So I think that's yeah, that's the key the key reminder. One of the lens of Certainly my podcast is really looking at providing actionable resources to and, and, and insights and inspiration to women that are looking to really thrive in, in the space. I think we can all agree that the more diverse and inclusive Web3 can be, um, the better the industry and the better the outcomes and the better the products that we will be able to build. Um, as somebody who's been in the space now for a while, what do you think are some of the unique barriers or challenges that women might face within Web3? Yes. <laughs> Good question. Web3 is a very interesting industry. And in some ways, we are lucky because we've been able to learn from the mistakes of Silicon Valley that they made early on in terms of their diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts. In other ways, we are less lucky because this is a new, a new industry that is traditionally occupied by men. And the they don't always prioritize some of those inclusion efforts in the way that we have now seen large tech companies in Web2 prioritize or now in the way that they're expected to. It took Coinbase going through IPO to actually start to implement ERGs, which are employee resource groups, right? To create these spaces where employees felt like they had a community, going back to that word, around them and create that psychological safety for themselves at work, but also a space where they could raise issues. And I recognize that not every company has the money or the bandwidth in order to create programs like this. And that makes sense. But I do want leaders to continue to think about how can we create a more equitable environment, even if we don't have the funds for it. Mm -hmm. So one of the things that I loved that I honestly saw at Chainalysis is we early on, even in our Series B, our HR team was partnering and our recruitment team was partnering with organizations that were set to bring more underrepresented talent into the Web3 ecosystem. So that's a really, not an easy way, right? But it's a great way to make sure that you are bringing your team into the ecosystems of the people that deserve to be here, but maybe don't always hear about it. Because referral hiring is still very heavy in a lot of the smaller startups in Web3. And I've seen this now that I've gone out on my own time and time again. People hire people who look like them, people who have similar backgrounds. and so. 
my goal is to continue to help people understand the options that they have in order to create a team that comes from a variety of backgrounds. It's going to build you a much more robust product. We can go on and on about the impact of a team that pulls from just one location or just one skin color. But I think when it comes to Web3 and being a woman, those are some of the barriers that I've recognized is we many times have to put that effort in. I also think that I have had to make an effort, especially earlier on, in making sure that I didn't fill or we don't fill some of those traditional woman roles in Web3, especially as HR teams are developing and different culture teams are developing. It's really easy, I think, as the only woman in the room to step in and be like, okay, I will be the fun coordinator on the team, or I will be the culture hire on the team and make sure we're all getting together. No, like that was something I made very clear to my marketing teams early on is that is not going to be our role. We can help with that. We can make sure that it is, it is, a, I don't know, we can help, but we are not going to be the ones tasked with this because we have a whole other job to do. So those boundaries are really important, but Hopefully that answered your question. Oh, you answered it and more. So many, so so many good things in there. One of the things that really stands out for me on the the company side is when you you sort of said that, and not in so many words, it, it, not having the money to hire a director of diversity isn't a reason to not have a culture that supports um, diversity, equity, and inclusion. And I I really love that point because um, there are so many things that organizations can do from word go, from the jump, that support and and sort of facilitate that, that kind of equitable landscape. And it doesn't even cost a dime. It's about intentionality and, and awareness. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So we are almost coming to the end of time. I uh, have one or two more questions that sort of um, would be great to to wrap up with. What's your predictions for where the Web3 space is is going and and specifically as it relates to marketing? Ooh, this one's a fun one. So right now we are having a hard time. I think everyone in Web3 is. Spirits are not as high as they were certainly during the bull run of 2020 and into 2021, but it will come back. And so with that knowledge and with that understanding, knowing the pendulum will swing, what I predict is it will take a combination of Web2 and Web3 efforts to bring on the next 1 billion users into Web3. So what I'm excited for is the overlay of a Web2 interface on a Web3 tech stack. Because as a marketer, I'm very excited about the data that we're going to be able to receive and the insights that we will get through Web3. As a consumer, the learning curve that exists within Web3 is quite complicated. At this point, I understand it. But if I didn't know what a wallet was, if I didn't know what a private key was, I would find it very difficult to feel confident working in the space, onboarding into the space, using platforms in the space, whatever it is. 
And so that's what I'm excited about is this combination because we are going to continue to instill that trust in our customers and increase the efficiencies for them. But then we're also going to be able to connect communities around the world together. And that's what I'm really excited about too, is in Web3, you remove that geographical barrier, like I said before, but now we actually get to spend time with each other in the metaverse in ways that we don't always get to spend time with each other in person. Does the tech need to change and improve? Yes, but that is coming and you can see it on the horizon. And that is, as a marketer, what's so exciting is my background's in hospitality. So anything I can do to focus on the customer experience, I will. And to streamline the customer experience, I absolutely will. And so that's why I'm excited. Yeah. So when you talk about the user experience, I also think it's crucial. It's, it is a barrier to entry right now. If you are lost in, uh, you can't really even get through the first few sentences before it all gets really confusing. People just kind of X out. Do you, do you see people building in a way that is more user-friendly and is designed to make that onboarding experience for people from Web 2 into Web 3 a much kind of smoother and more accessible experience? Absolutely. I think if we even look at exchanges, right? Like many people don't understand, they should understand that they need their own personal wallet, but many people don't understand that you do because a lot of their interface is great. You can now log in with a username and a password in the way that you would log in Web2. You can trade your funds right there in a way that you would on a Web2 financial platform. And people feel like they have this control. Now, the regulations need to come in on the back end of that to really make sure we have that control. We saw obviously with FTX, Coinbase and FTX are very different. But I think that's a great example of the streamlining effect of making it easy for people to say yes. Another example that people love to bring up is the Starbucks Odyssey program, right? They have a new rewards program and it's a membership that you effectively join. Their gold star membership, I think it's called right now in Web2 performed incredibly well. So now they've just switched it to Web3 but as a consumer, you'd honestly be none the wiser because it's not like they're using the word NFT. Mm-hmm. They're giving you tokens or they're giving you stamps, I think they call it. And so it doesn't feel scary. It doesn't feel like you're operating in this new world. Instead, Starbucks wins, the customer wins. And again, they're creating that economically incentivized group of people where the customers become the investors and then they reap rewards from the company itself and vice versa. Mm-hmm. And that I think is so important. Yeah, I think that's a great example and something that people will absolutely be able to to relate to. So for anyone that's listening, that's um, interested in in kind of following your journey, Regan, where can they find you? Absolutely. So I am very active on LinkedIn. You can find me at Regan Olsey on LinkedIn or at Minted Mojito, because I think that's a little bit easier to spell, but you'll probably put some of it in the show notes. Yes, I will Um, put it in the show notes. (laughs) Amazing. And then my podcast is called Marketing on the Moon. Every Thursday, I drop a new episode either by myself or with a guest in the marketing space where we talk about how you can attract, nurture, and convert your own audience. So definitely reach out to me in both of those places. And I hope to see you soon. Yeah. Final question. What are you most excited for in the next six months? Work-wise, what am I most excited for? 
I'm excited about a lot, but I'm actually in the process of a little bit of a rebrand with Minted Mojito. So I am very excited about that because I, as you can probably see from behind me, am very much a paint against the wall kind of creative. Uh, And so it's been a really fun exercise to get to go through. Exciting. Can't wait to see it. Thank you so much for joining. It has been an absolute pleasure. I feel that I'm walking out of this a more educated person around the differences from Web 2 to Web 3. Thank you so much for sharing your insights and being so generous in in kind of doing so. Absolutely, Jeanette. Thank you so much for having me. It was such a pleasure and so wonderful. Thank you, Regan. And to our listeners, we'll see you next week for another episode of Web 3 Disruptors. Bye.